Thank you, Brother Getch. There you go. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Hey, it's good to be in chapel, right? Especially when there are not many of them left. Hey, man, huh? Almost over. How many of you are graduating this year? How many of you wish you were graduating this year? All right. I figured I'd get everybody, right? But anyway, I'm glad you're here. And I always enjoy being here. And, and then bro- Brother Toby led, uh, led a song. I love that song, Standing on the Promises of Christ My King. Aren't you glad that this morning you and I aren't shaky about our foundation? <laughs> I heard a quote many years ago. I heard a man make this statement. I've trembled on the rock, but the rock's never trembled under me. And uh, boy, I'm telling you, I'm glad for that. But one of my favorite quotes about standing on the promises is from Vance Havner. And if you don't know who that is, you ought to look him up. And uh, I was able to hear Dr. Havner twice in person. The first time I was able to hold his Bible while he was signing other Bibles. He said, young man, will you hold my Bible? I said, yes, sir, I'd be glad to hold your Bible. I said, would you mind while I hold your Bible if I could just kind of peruse through it? He said, look through there and find anything you want. And uh, so I did, and I come out with several outlines, and it was a blessing. And no, but uh, but 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 Dr. Hadner used to say, "We sing standing on the promises, while some of us are just sitting on the premises." And uh, I'm glad we don't have to we don't have to worry about the promises of God. They're sure, steadfast, and uh, forever. And uh, grateful for that. It is good to be here. It's always good to be at West Coast. It's good to be. With, uh, with your staff, I love Dr. Getch and Dr. R. They've just become dear friends. Brother Toby, uh, just over the years. And, of course, I love Pastor Chapel. Just appreciate his friendship and fellowship. And uh, then we have students here. And so I'm glad to see our students. Some of them sitting over here with my wife. Uh, greatest thing ever happened to me outside of Jesus is sitting right over on the third row, third seat in, all right? And uh, I'm grateful for the day that... Sharon and I became husband and wife July the 27th, 1979, and uh, that's been a long time ago now, but uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, how many of you get married this summer? All right, I figured some of you. How many of you want to get married? No, <laughs> but uh, you know, you heard, about, you heard about the perfect man that met the perfect woman. Of course, they had the perfect wedding. They had the perfect marriage. When they had children, they had perfect children. Having a perfect home, they bought the perfect vehicle, a minivan. One snowy Christmas Eve, they're driving down the road. All of a sudden, there on the right side of the road is Santa Claus. His sleigh is broken down on Christmas Eve. Being the perfect couple with the perfect children, they stopped to see if they could assist him. Said, Mr. Claus, is there anything we could do for you? He said, Oh, yeah, I've got millions and millions of toys here that have to still be delivered. Could you help me deliver the toys? He said, Sure, just load them up in our minivan. So they make their way through the highways and the byways, and they have a horrible accident. There's only one survivor. You know who it was? It was the perfect woman. The perfect man and Santa Claus don't exist. So, (laughs) but you know who that means was driving? I'll let you figure it out. All right. (laughs) Would you go with me to the book of Haggai, please? The book of Haggai. I hope you are getting married. You have a wonderful marriage. It's the greatest thing ever happened to me outside of Jesus. All right. 
How many of you try to stay away from negative people? How many of you try to stay away from negative? I do. Negative people can just drain you. You ever notice that, Brother Gatch? I mean, they can drain you. I mean, just there's some people that the glass is always half empty. It's never been half full one time in their life. But I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you, okay? Just us here in chapel. I've tried to stay away from people who are positive the last couple of years. And, um, and so um, some of you will get that in a minute. I, 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 I'll see some of you will get it. But, but thank God I, I was on a historical day flying yesterday. Hallelujah. No mask. <laughs> Woo. And uh, so when you get to go home, if you're flying home, you don't have to wear a mask. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> I can't believe it. I never would have thought when I was your age. At 62 years of age, I'd be talking about no mask like it was a great day, but it is a great day. All right. Haggai, you found Haggai. I was trying to give a couple of you seniors time to find that. It's in the Old Testament if you're still looking. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Haggai. And um, okay. would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're in chapter 1. If I didn't tell you which chapter, there's only two, so it wouldn't be hard to guess, okay? We're in chapter 1. We're in the book of Haggai. Verse 1 reads, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Joshadek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord. You're going to find that terminology many times. It's already been found here twice. It was the word of the Lord. Verse 2, it's speaketh the Lord. Aren't you glad God speaks to us? You know, one of the greatest privileges in life is to hear the voice of God through his word and by his spirit. And so he says, then this is what Haggai said, thus speaketh the Lord. So it's not, it's not Haggai's message, it's the Lord's message saying, this people say, the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord, there it is again, by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? This house is the Lord's house, it's referenced in verse two. Verse five, now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew. And the earth is stayed from her fruit. 
And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, Joshua, the son of Joshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Joshadek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let's bow our heads. Would you invite the Lord right now to speak to your heart? Would you say, Lord, I sure would like to hear your voice today. See, I believe the blessings of God are found at the intersection of Truth Avenue and Submission Street. When you and I hear God's truth and we submit to it, we know God's blessings. Father, help us this morning. I know these young people have gone through a whole semester of chapels. I know some of them have gone through multiple years of chapel. And, and I know sometimes we can just get in such a routine that we just go through the motion. But I pray this morning that we'll hear you. Lord, I thank you that I can be your messenger like Haggai identified himself. But Lord, I know it's not me that they need to hear. It's you. And I pray today you'll speak to us, Lord. I want you to speak to me as much as I want you to speak to these students and this staff. So I pray you'll do that today. And you'll cause us to consider our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know and understand that Haggai is one of three post-exile prophets that are recorded for us in the canon of Scripture. Uh, the other two uh, follow him in the biblical order, Zechariah and Malachi. These three men were given a ministry after Israel came back from their 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They had been there because they had ignored God. They had forsaken God's law. And as a result of that, God had sent judgment upon them. But God had brought them back. If you were to read the closing verses of 2 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 36, the last chapter, in the opening few verses of the book of Ezra, you would know and understand that the setting of this moment in history is this remnant that has returned with uh, Zerubbabel, the governor, and with Joshua or Jeshua, the high priest. And, and when they have come back to the homeland, they have come back for the purpose primarily to reestablish the worship of God in the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, God is so much on their side 
that when you study the first chapter of the book of Ezra, you will find that Cyrus, a heathen king, has provided them with the means and the material and the money that they would need to rebuild the temple. Not only that, he has given them back of the instruments that were used in the worship of Jehovah in the temple. And so these people have returned. And if you were to go over to the book of Ezra, which gives us the best scenario of what's happening, you would find that very soon after they got there, they reestablished the sacrificial system. They set up the altar of the temple in the opening verses of chapter three of Ezra. And in the second year, of their return, the foundation of the temple was relayed. That's found in the latter verses of Ezra chapter 3. But chapter 4 comes. They're persecuted. They're harassed. They're attacked. And they did what you and I often do. They stopped. They quit. And for 16 long years, the temple has laid along. I'm sure the weeds are growing. I'm sure. It would be an embarrassing sight. But God does what he always does. When his people quit obeying him, he sends a messenger. And chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of the book of Ezra tells us that those two messengers were Haggai and Zechariah. We're looking at one of those two messengers' messages. We're looking together this morning in the first chapter of the book of Haggai. Now, let me show you how quickly these messages were given. You're there in Haggai chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the year. So, first day, sixth month. Go to chapter 7, would you? Please, I'm chapter 7, sorry. We're going to the seventh month. You go to chapter 7 in Haggai, please stand up and read it to us, okay? Uh, look, go to chapter 2 and verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month. So uh, a month and 21 days has transpired between message 1 and message 2. Message 3 begins in verse 10 of chapter 2, in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. So two more days uh, two more months and three more days have transpired. And even the last message, Haggai gives four messages. The last one was given the same day. Chapter 2 and verse 20 says it was in the four and 20th day of the month, which I believe to be that ninth month. So these four messages were given from God's prophet to God's people in just a matter of four months. There is one word that appears five times in this book. It is found twice in the opening chapter, it is also found in chapter 2 and verse 15, chapter 2 and verse 18. It is the word consider. In other words, God is saying to his people, I want you to consider some things. We're not going to look at the whole book 
this morning. What does it mean to consider? It means to set the mind to, to set the eye upon. I, I believe that word consider has a sense of careful examination and evaluation. But I also believe that inherit in that word is not a call just to examination, not a call just to evaluation, but it is a call to execution. It is a charge to observe something with the intention to do something about what we see and learn. You know, God never speaks to us just to inform us. God always speaks to us to instruct us. God, when he speaks to you, is not just interested in you being a hearer. If you've been a student at West Coast Baptist College just for one semester, if you started to consider the many hours of Bible instruction you've received, it'd be overwhelming. But, but can I tell you, it's not about what you learn. It's about what you live. James says it this way in James chapter 1. He says, be not hearers of the word only, but doers. The, the blessing of God doesn't come in the learning. The blessing of God comes in the living. Now you have to learn to live, but you do are to learn to live. See, Haggai challenged these people to consider, and notice, notice the statement, it's found in verse 5, it's found in verse 7, both places, it's the last three words. It's consider your ways. What is ways? It's a, it's a program that helps you to get around town. No, not the same one, all right? What's ways? Ways is your course, your direction, the pattern of your life. And this morning, for a few moments, God wants us to consider our ways. So you could be the right person in the right place, doing the right work, and not be in the right fellowship with Him. We have to be careful that in these days of uncertainty, we are certain that we are obeying God and walking with Him in His Word, by His Spirit, in our worship, in our witness, in our work, in our stewardship. It, 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 is, it is what the songwriter wrote many years ago, ago, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And this morning, I want you to look with me at two contrasting realities recorded in Haggai chapter 1 as the prophet says, consider your ways. Number one, I want you to see the complacency of the people. When, when, when Haggai begins the message, he begins right where their problem is. It's, it's interesting. This first message was delivered on the first day of the month, which would have been a day of worship. It's interesting, chapter 1, verse 1, that both the governmental leader, Zerubbabel, and the spiritual leader, Joshua, are present. And, and, and Haggai comes... And he declares, look at verse 2 with me. 
Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say. When I read that phrase many months ago, I immediately thought about the church of Laodicea. You remember what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3? You, you, you say, but Jesus says, I know. Can I tell you that what you say this morning may not necessarily be so? It's easy to talk my Christian faith, but it's a whole lot different to walk it. I know people that talk it by the miles and live it by the inch. He, he says, this people say, this, this people have, have their own opinions. It's their self-will and their self-centeredness that had gotten them uh, to this place. Notice what it had gotten them to. Look at what he says. This people say, look at verse 2. Would you read those next five words out loud with me together? You ready? Here we go. The time is not come. What time? Oh, they say the time that the Lord's house should be built. As a matter of fact, verse 4, the prophet says, It is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Verse number 9, the latter part, because mine house, that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. They said it's not time yet. Do you remember how long I said it had been since they laid the foundation? 16 years. But it ain't time yet. Hosea the prophet said it's time to seek the Lord. Why didn't they think it was time yet? Because they were building their own houses. As a matter of fact, they're identified in verse 4 as sealed houses. That terminology is used in 1 Kings 7, Jeremiah 22, speaking of not just ordinary dwellings, but palaces that kings built for themselves. They, 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 they had become so consumed with their own selfish desire that they had no time to do what they had returned to do, what they had been given the resources to do, and in spite of all that they had at their uh, disposal, they were not using it to do the thing that God had asked them to do when he returned them to the land. Some of you probably sit here this morning in chapel and say, well, I don't think it's time yet. I'm just a freshman. I don't think it's time yet. I'm just a sophomore. I don't think it's time yet. I'm just a junior. Well, it probably ain't time yet. I'm a senior and we don't graduate for two more weeks. We're pretty good at using our time on ourselves, aren't we? We're really good at using our treasures on ourselves. Do you understand that undoubtedly all that that Cyrus had given to them, they had consumed it on their own lust? They had used what had been given to God's work for themselves. How many people do you and I know this morning? We come from a lot of different places around the country and around the world. How many of us know that, that, are, that are so busy building their kingdom they don't have time for God's kingdom? Haggai said, you, you say, 
It's not time yet. But, but having to address their neglect, he, he speaks to their need. He, 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 he basically says in verse 6, how's it working out for you? <laughs> look, at, look at the phraseology of verse 6. You've so much, bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You, you clothe, but you're not warm. You, you earn wages, but you put it in a bag with holes in it. Can, can I ask you a question this morning? You and I need to consider, how's, how's our way working out? Where's it brought us to? Where's it going to take us to? They are putting forth a lot of effort, but they were getting very little return. As a matter of fact, look at verse 9. He said, you looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow on it. <coughs> do you understand that's all God's got to do to get rid of anything you and I got? Anything we're putting our confidence in, anything we're putting our trust in, anything we think that that's what's going to really carry me to where I ought to be. Listen to me. Anything you and I depended on this morning outside of God, he can blow on it and it can be gone like that. They, they, were, they were taking a one-step forward, two-step backward approach. You know why? Boy, if you could... If God could put this down in our souls today. Selfishness kills satisfaction. I don't care what you're selfish about. Selfishness kills satisfaction. Because selfishness is never satisfied. The richest man on the planet this morning. You know what he wants? More money. The most gorgeous woman that's alive today. You know what she wants? More beauty. Why? Because selfishness is never satisfied. Haggai, through God, says there's a, there's a simple way to fix it. Look at verse 8. Isn't it interesting how easily it was to fix the problem? He says, number one, go up to the mountain. Number two, bring you some wood down here. Number three, build the house. You, you know, sometimes we, we want to make, make advancement in, the, in our walk with God such a complex thing. S Sunday morning in our service, I had great service, thank the Lord. First time we'd been over 1,100 since COVID started. So we were happy, all right? And, uh, and, and I had this couple. I told them that my wife, I'll be out in the lobby if you'd like to talk to us, you know, Kim. So I had this couple walk up to me, and, and they were at their first time, and, and, and they both gave testimony. They would say, but, but, but one of them said, you know, I just, I just have a hard time trusting the Lord. I said, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? They said, no. I said, uh, how much time do you... Read and engage in the Bible. Little or none. I said, then 
Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You, you, you understand that most of the difficulties of our, our walk with the Lord could be settled by just doing the basics. Just reading your Bible, just praying, just being regular to worship, just being a witness, just being a faithful steward of what he's given you. How many of us are looking for some wild thing that's just really going to turn us on for Jesus? And really this morning all it meant was get up and read the Bible. Spend a little time with the Father in prayer. He said, it's simple. Just go to the mountain, get you some wood, build the house. God asked a question in the middle of verse 9. I want you to see before we move on. He says, why, saith the Lord of hosts? Can I just tell you that why was not because God needed some information? It was so that they might ponder their disobedience. It was, it was to bring them face to face with the reality that they were a rebellious people. Could it be this morning that what you or I lack in our walk with the Lord is not a force of misfortune? But it could be a fact of disobedience. We've neglected our walk with the Lord. You know, I've wondered over these last two years of the pandemic, I wonder, what is it going to take to get the attention of saved people in this world? And so Haggai caused them to consider their own complacency. But I am so grateful for the last four verses of the chapter. Because... In contrast to that complacency, we see the commitment of the people. Rather than making excuses, they responded properly to God. It it says there in verse 12 that Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant, I want you to miss that little phrase right there in the middle of the verse, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. It's interesting. The contrast. In verse 2, the Lord through Haggai called Israel this people. But in verse 12, they're identified as the You know, I, I, don't, I don't want God to talk about me in third person. And it says here in verse 12 that Zerubbabel and Joshua with the remnant of the people, what did they do? They obeyed. They've been convicted. They have confessed their neglect of God. 
And now they obey. That word means to hear, to give heed to, to yield unto. They did what God said they ought to do. What did God say? God said, you've neglected me. You've neglected my house. So they're going to get back to the work of building the house. Matter of fact, it recorded for us in verse 15. It was the 4 and 20th day of that six months. So there's been 23 days had elapsed since the preaching of the prophet to the response of the people. But thank God they responded because, listen to me, the most important thing any of us can ever do is to say yes to God and then do what we promise God will do. But they not only had the right response, they had the right reason. Notice verse 12. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. They just didn't have the right response. They had the right reason. They had a fear, a proper respect, a proper reverence, a proper awe of God. The psalmist says, in Psalm 2 and verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Matthew Henry commenting on this passage of scripture says a holy fear of God will have a great influence upon our obedience to him. If we fear him not, we will serve him not. But that response comes with a reassurance. Look at the end of verse 13. Here's the message God gives them. I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. And Brother Getch, there ain't nobody I want with me like the Lord. I like to have people with me. I'm a people person. I enjoy being around people. I'm thankful. But listen to me. There's nobody I want to be on my side. I'm kind of like Abraham Lincoln. I'm not so worried if God's on our side. I'm worried if I'm on his side. God says, when you respond, God says, I respond. James says, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. The reality is this morning, every one of us in this chapel hour, we're, we're as close to God as we want to be. You had a greater desire to be nearer to God. God has a greater desire for you to be nearer to him. God's at work. What a wonderful reality to know that when we submit to God, he stands by us. He's there. Notice what it says there in verse 14. The Lord stirred up. The Lord stirred up. You know know what the word stirred there is a portrait of? It's a portrait of waking up a sleepy person so he's alert and ready for action. You, you, You know what you and I need when we are at a place of neglect of God? We need for the Lord to stir us up. And to bring us awake and alert to what we need to do so that we will act accordingly. And it is only the stirring of God that will result in us doing what he wants us to do. Is God stirring you? 
I'll tell you what's an awful place to be as a child of God. It's when you're in neglect and you don't feel like the Lord's stirring you. The Lord stirred them. What did they do? Notice at the end of verse 14. They came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. These complacent people became committed people. And I'm so glad that whenever I wander on my own, whenever I'm trying to do my own thing, whenever I'm trying to live for my own self-will, when I'm ever chasing my own self-dreams, I am so glad that God speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, he says to me, Tim, consider your ways. That when I do... And I confess it. He comes near. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, I do not know what the Spirit of God may have put his finger on in your life. But he's asking you to consider. What does it mean to consider? It means to evaluate and examine. But it also means to execute. It means to do. It's not enough to hear. The blessing comes in the doing. It's not enough to learn. The blessing comes in the living. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed and God's spoken to our hearts this morning and he's asking us to consider our ways. Is there something particularly God has called you to consider today? Has he put his finger on something in your life in an area where you're neglecting him? I beg you today, obey the Lord. But obey Him because you fear Him, you reverence Him, you respect Him. Not Just have a right response, have a right reason.